Welcome to the Loose Filter Podcast, episode number 103. I'm your host, Stuart Sims, and on this episode, I'm joined by co-hosts Lisette Kneinenberg and Dave Gant as we discuss some of our favorite songwriters. Uh, We didn't pick songwriters who are the most famous or the most successful. Rather, we picked uh, some pretty idiosyncratic choices who are favorites of ours for one reason or another. Songwriters, uh, sometimes solo uh, composers, sometimes people who work in teams, uh, who have, we think, uh, something unique to offer in their craft and in their creative output. We also have some discussion in the episode about how In general, it's uh, an excellent idea if you find uh, a creative work that you love to know who is responsible for thinking that thing up, for originating that thing, rather than only thinking about who's responsible for performing it. Sometimes in music, the performer and the creator of the music are the same person, but often uh, they aren't the same person. And so we wanted to highlight uh, those who are responsible for originating some of the songs that we love in this podcast episode on songwriters. As always, all musical examples discussed are listed below the podcast track in this post with links to iTunes, so you can download that music yourself if you hear anything interesting that you want to pursue further. So without any further ado, I hope you enjoy our podcast episode on songwriters. Hi, and welcome to the Loose Filter Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart, and I'm here again with Lisette. Hi. And Dave. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about songwriters. And uh, like I mentioned in the introduction, these aren't necessarily the most famous songwriters or most successful songwriters, even though all the ones we'll talk about are quite successful. Uh, they're songwriters that, for one reason or another, we really love. Close to our heart. Close to our And I found, I learned years ago, it was with movies first. And of course, being a concert music kid, you follow composers. I mean, you know you don't, if you get a, a recording of music you love that's played by the New York Philharmonic, you don't think, I'm going to get everything the New York Philharmonic does, because you know they don't write their own stuff. But with popular music, what if they did? That would be That'd awesome. be really interesting. Everybody has to write their own. That would part. be pretty cool, right? We got to talk to you about your performance this year. Your playing's great, but your piece was not very good. Uh, but a lot of people don't realize with recorded music that the people performing it don't always. They it, it's not always the songwriter who performs it. Wait, and, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That is often the case, and with a lot of the people we're going to talk about today, that is the case. But um, we wanted to talk about folks who whose work we love in a personal way, and because I think that's the best way to find more stuff that you love is understand who the people are who really originate the material, and then follow their work. You know, like when you go to IMDb, don't look at the actors, look at the screenwriters and the directors, and you're going to find a lot more. Or you look up an artist on iTunes, and you look at people who bought this artist also bought right. These well, you could use that chain of association, or go on Wikipedia. You know, and and look up who wrote songs you like, and find Pandora out stations. who else they wrote for. Right, right. So the first the first example I wanted to share on this episode is uh, somebody who is very famous, and she has recorded a lot of her own songs, and she's written a lot for other people, and that's Dolly Parton. And that's sort of I, I'm cheating a little bit because I said we were going to stay away from the obvious choices, and Dolly Parton certainly would be on anybody's you know 50 most successful 
Definitely. songwriters. Um, but but there is something in her songwriting that is unique and wonderful to me. And that's what I wanted to share with our listeners. And I'm going to use her two biggest hits, um, which are uh, I Will Always Love You, which, of course, was made into a global mega hit by Whitney Houston. Thanks, Whitney. And uh, and Jolene. Uh, so so here first, let's frame this by playing just a little clip of Dolly Parton's original recording of I Will Always Love You. Each step of the way And I will always love you I will always love you A wonderful song. And it's for those of you who don't know that version, have only heard the Whitney Houston Wow, what a difference. <laughs> right, right. And and of course, uh, Parton never liked the Whitney Houston version. And I think with good reason, because the rendering that Whitney Houston did is doesn't line up with the intent of the lyrics, of the meaning of the song. And of course, Parton wrote it uh, when she was splitting from uh, not just her partner, but her, her manager. So it was a, a, a personal and professional collaboration. And what I love about it is that it is such an atypical breakup song because it's grounded in respect and love and saying to someone, even though we've d- we need to move on from this personal relationship, I still love and respect you deeply. Not the typical I hate you venom that usually exactly. comes Exactly. Or why did you do this yeah. to me? Or I'm so shattered. Or, you know, it just shows such a wisdom and a love that is not common at all to that kind of song and then the melody the the really gentle lilting delicate melody perfectly delivers the lyrical message i think so the the musical setting you know so beautifully enhances this very wise lyrical content she does sound very like peaceful and relaxed and and you don't really expect that kind of a tone from a breakup song yeah uh, and then the the second example is her other most famous single, and that's Jolene. And this one is about uh, uh, one woman singing to another woman. Uh, and Dolly's the woman singing to a woman named Jolene, and she's afraid that Jolene's going to steal her man, which Uh-oh. a very common trope that you know, sort of you know, love triangle or, or other other person, other is, woman, is or there other man. Be hair pulling? And no, there's no hair pulling Aww. because again, the 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 perspective of the lyrics is very respectful. Like she even calls Jolene really pretty. Like she's like, you're a hell of a woman. But, uh, but you know, please just don't like, don't like be cool. Don't take my man. You can do it, but please don't do that. So Dolly's a classy lady. Exactly. And that kind of like respecting humanism, you know, I just, it endears her songs to me. So, uh, so deeply. And, and and the musical expression of it is so simple and and oh god I hate to use the word folksy but but um, I mean it sounds like she could be sitting in my den singing those songs to me you know it's just interesting that I call her a classy lady when usually the image of Dolly Parton that comes to mind for most people is not the most classy image <laughs> not saying that she's not a classy lady but people often it's think a little of gli- yeah the, aspects of her that may not be her the seventies you know yeah. pink uh, you know uh, jumper suits or whatever pink one piece cowgirl outfits and all that stuff uh but you know it was the 70s oh yeah and so you know it's quaaludes and a lot of people get passes on that stuff uh, but anyway here's a little bit of jolene 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 please don't 
Great song, I think. And the other thing I should mention is the fantastic guitar playing she does on that track. She's a, that's her. That yeah, she's a terrific. Oh, that's awesome. She is a terrific perform instrumental. She's a multi instrumentalist also, brilliantly talented woman. So that's my uh, first submission in song. It sounds like her doing you. both harmonies as well. Yes. Yeah, great voice, yep. man. Wow. Powerhouse. Wonderful songwriter. Uh, so, Lisette, you had one you wanted Speaking to Speaking of powerhouse vocals and songwriting, uh, pretty transitions perfectly into one of my favorite songwriters of all time, um, who is Sia. And she is now a pretty popular artist because of her smash hit single that came out recently, Chandelier. But she's been writing music for. That was the one with that little girl Maddie dancing yeah. in the. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh and that's God. Amazing. Ama- brilliant choreography. Pretty yeah. groundbreaking music video. Pretty huge. Most people will recognize it. Um, but before that, she was pretty unknown, but had been making music for quite a long time, and really, she has written incredible amounts of music for so many different artists, including Beyonce and Britney Spears and Rihanna, and goes completely under the radar in, in a lot of those ways. Um, One of these songwriters I was mentioning at the, the the top of the episode that you may love their music and not know that you're loving their music because exactly. it's recorded by these other much bigger personalities. Yeah, But she's also been recording music for herself for quite a while, and most of her albums are, in my opinion, pretty brilliant, and they all come in a lot of different flavors. She's gone through a lot of different styles of music and seems to go through all of them so seamlessly. Um, So the first one that I want to kind of share is just uh, one of her first big recognized songs, which was called Breathe Me, uh, and it was featured in um, uh, Six Feet Feet Under's finale episode, um, which really kind of kicked some fame over to it. But it's an absolutely fantastic song. about that song is how intimate and personal it really feels to me. I truly feel like I have um, been kind of connected to her and she's sharing this very secretive part of herself with me almost. Yeah, I definitely get that. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of part of the texture that she's able to paint. Um, she's keenly aware as a songwriter, I think, of of the energy of her songs. And so with this piece, because you of, mean of like the, the personal like the, content. The way the energy like develops through the song? Exactly, okay. yeah. Okay. The energetic development of the song. That's okay. a great way to say it. Um, and in the beginning of this song, I mean, it's, it's lyrical content is very intimate in nature. It's a very personal piece. Um, but it's this kind of low, simple melody and kind of basic background. I mean, it's lovely, but it's this, like I said, it kind of paints an intimate picture. It's not very open and broad and complex. In and she way. orchestrates it like just with piano and marimba. Exactly. And then, you know, moving through that first verse into into the chorus, it has this beautiful escalating line that draws you in so powerfully that when she really finally arrives there, you're just, you're sunk. You're just in it. You can't help yourself. 
And then even more satisfying after that first chorus, you get this great silence and this amazing drop into the second verse that, like I said, her, her like energy, her energetic awareness is just so great because she's so good at drawing you in and then giving you such satisfying motion. And then the first, the second verse, you don't get the full orchestration until that second verse. Yeah, exactly. You're, only, you're only getting, yeah, the, the tracks only like partially or, orchestrated, yeah. She's, she waits and waits and, and it uses the form really nicely. Yeah, it's and, a great and, song. And thank goodness also on top of her ability just to create that picture, she herself as a vocalist is able to deliver so well because she, right. you know, not only can create that, but she can also be so deeply connected with it and be really expressive. She's not to me the best singer I've ever heard, but the way that she can use her voice as an expressive tool is pretty amazing to me. Yeah, I thought that when I discovered the discovered quote unquote, <laughs> just because of my age, I guess the Dolly Parton, the original version of I Will Always Love You, that it's not always better, but often you get a take when the, the composer is performing the material you you get the full expressive intent on all levels and mm -hmm. Sia does that in, like you said incredibly vivid she uses her voice uh, as an instrument you know a wide range of timbres and textures that she creates with her voice as well as any popular singer I think I've ever heard maybe back to like I could uh, like maybe blues priestesses are the only maybe female singers I can think to compare that kind of range with and and she's very she's very you know keenly aware of her own abilities because she wrote Chandelier originally as a song for another artist and then once she really got into the the meat and bones of it she realized that only she could really give that song the life that she wanted it to have and so what could have been a good song from another pop artist turned into a great song just because she was able to deliver it herself in the amazing performance that she gives. And that's a that's a tricky song. It is vocally one of the most difficult pop songs I have heard within the last, I'd say, five years easily. I mean, it is not an easy let's, song to let's sing. Let's listen to a little means. bit of that. a really fantastic song really enjoyable um, I think it's important to mention though that Sia has a songwriting partner named Greg Kirsten who is kind of the piano playing background guy who will kind of noodle behind her as she works on her melodies and her lyrics and they create progressions together so she has a support system um, but she's really kind of the brains behind it all uh, and they've been together for for a very long time since her early albums Speaking of great songwriting teams, the Bee Gees are, um, I think, a lot more excellent than most people are aware of. When people think of the Bee Gees, what immediately comes to mind usually is Saturday Stay, Night Fever soundtrack. Staying alive, yeah, it's fantastic. All, all, so good. All the, <laughs> well, they do, they do. They were so successful in the late seventies that that kind of got hung. I mean, yeah. disco was a stain that got on a lot of people. Yeah, but but. <laughs> What's funny about the Bee Gees is that, as, as far as I'm, I'm aware, 
they were not writing disco songs until they were asked to write disco songs for that movie because they are workhorses. These guys have been a, uh, a band since 1958, been writing songs since they were wee ones. You know? uh, and we're talking about, to be clear, the, th- the three Gibb brothers. Yeah. Uh, uh, Randy. Uh, Barry, no, Randy. Randy Gibb. Good old Randy Gibb. <laughs> Bobby. Barry. Barry. Is Randy. Oh. Marsha. Robin. Jan, Andy. Cindy. Gibb. Robin. The whole, the whole Brady Gibb Andy, bunch. Barry. There we go. Gibb. I combined Robin and Andy. Anyway, um, they've been writing songs together since they were kids. Um, you know, uh, then they, they wrote across like a whole, like a whole bunch of styles. Yeah, right. That's, they started that's the thing, as is that they, they, when they when they started, they were like uh, in the fifties. They were doing like uh, sort of, I guess, doo woppy stuff. I'm not familiar with what they were writing when they were kids, but. Um, and then sixties, uh, they were doing like sort of standard pop, but a lot of Beatles esque kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that sounds a lot like Abbey Road um, in their <laughs> in their discography. Um, and then there's a lot of great Blue Eyed Soul from the Bee Gees that has been covered by artists. Uh, you know, through- Blue Blue Eyed Soul. I Blue-eyed don't know that. Blue Eyed Soul being uh, white guy soul, pretty much. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a genre <laughs> of soul that is mostly white guys, and it's. It's a little different than like because it's know, white Mo- guys Motown doing soul, Philly. yeah. So yeah, it's, it's just a, another genre of soul. But uh, so I wanted to play a quick clip from that era of Bee Gees. Um, to love somebody, that one's been covered by. Oh yeah, I know yeah. that. It's a Bee Gees song. Yeah, that is a Bee Gees song. It's, that's your point. That's why you, I just exactly. understand why you picked the Bee Gees. So oh, let's okay. hear that. Everybody said to do each and every little thing. Somebody to love somebody the way I love you. Great, right? I, I'm just as a former French horn player, can I applaud the inclusion <laughs> yes. of the French horn in that track? Well, that's blue eyed soul for you. French so, horns and harps, yeah, and out of tune guitar, but so charming. Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of good. Technically, guitar. well, I I tell you, in the era before auto tune, it sure is obvious yeah. that we have auto tune. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're gonna hear more out of you hear actual out of tune yeah. examples, but yeah, it's got all that's the, a great song. It is, is and it's got all song. the. I mean, aside from just like the inimitable Bee Gees uh, breath vibrato style, and you know the singing of the of the brothers themselves. It's got all the harmonics of their great songwriting. It's got, and what a classic chorus, really. Yeah, it's like the super catchy choruses. Um, uh, like the the orchestration's wonderful. Those harmonies are fantastic, and that's that's just another like all BG songs, great harmonies because, like I said, they've been singing together since they were kids. Um, but like, there's <laughs> there's a lot more from the Bee Gees. Um, next one I want to play was uh, I started a joke, which is a lot. I started a joke. I started a joke. Yeah, and it's it's from more of their like sort of like pop, uh, just '60s sort of uh, standard pop, you know, um, of the time, and uh, it's a lot sparser. So it's it's a big difference. I finally died, which started the whole living. Oh, if I don't. 
So that sounds really Beatles-esque. Yeah, actually, it's 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 funny when the uh, the Bee Gees' uh, first album came out in the UK, there was a big rumor that it was actually a Paul McCartney Splinter Group, and the Bee Gees stood for Beatles Group. What? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's yeah. one of my favorite songs. Wow. It's, it's just it, it, it that's a beautiful song. Um, but it's it's such a great example of of songwriting because there's like four lines in that thing, and there's just it's so simple. And um and it's just built up just really just blocks on blocks you know like Minecraft. <laughs> um, Dave's Dave's been yeah, into Minecraft been lately. Just a little dear bit. listeners. But just this a is little. a great example of songcraft because it's just it's so it takes such so few elements and and makes. Can we make that a video game, Songcraft? <laughs> I'd play that all day. I would play that. You end up with a song that you built. Yeah, man. They already that would have be amazing. That. <laughs> it came called on your computer. Garage, garage band. band. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that already. Uh, so I, I have, uh, for my next example, I wanted to uh, go in a little different direction and go toward more composed songs in the sense of, uh, you know, written down and, and orchestrated and performed live. Uh, and these uh, are a pair of songwriters who came from musical theater. They were very successful on Broadway early in their collaboration. Their names are Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. Yes. And they, they created a musical. Their first musical together was called Little Shop of Horrors. So good. And was a huge success. And they were s- sort of grabbed up following that success by the Walt Disney Corporation, who were looking to revitalize their animated movie musicals. And they very wisely went to Broadway to look for musical theater. They most definitely com- picked the right Composers team. and songwriters, right. And, and so they brought this team on board, and the first movie that Mencken and Ashman worked on is The Little Mermaid, which is, of course, considered the first uh, movie in sort of Disney's Disney return to form. Yeah, Disney the Disney Renaissance. Renaissance. And that run of movies, uh, help me out, Lisette, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, um, Aladdin. Aladdin. And, and then, unfortunately, uh, during Aladdin, Howard Ashman died. He died, uh, he was a victim of AIDS, kind of on the the. the just after the peak of the AIDS epidemic. And I think he was only 40 years old when he passed away. But uh, there was a a fit between the two of those, his lyrical sense and Alan Menken's musical gestures. It's very rare among collaborators, I think. And uh, uh, there are a couple examples I wanted to show, but the first thing I love when I think of these songs from these movies, so we're talking about Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin, is the lyrical, just the absolute brilliance of the lyrics. Uh, he, you know, so much packed in there. He uses puns all the time, like in uh, "Be Our Guest" from uh, "Beauty and the Beast." Try the gray stuff; it's delicious. Don't believe me? Ask the dishes. Ask the dishes. So things like that, but also really complex rhyme schemes that you do not find in most lyric writing, where there are rhyme schemes, micro rhyme schemes nestled within macro rhyme schemes, and then that overall verse structure has a clear metric pattern you know like we learned with Shakespeare imagine if he had been a rap artist yeah no kidding <laughs> like with iambic pentameter there's I don't know what the, the metric pattern is but you can tell there is one and the example I think of to show this nested rhyme scheme is uh, um, uh, Prince Ali from Aladdin and the line that I think of is Prince Ali fabulous he Ali Ababwa genuflect show some respect down on one knee so within the first two lines of that couplet 
the first two halves of the first line rhyme. The first, the two parts of the first half of the second line rhyme with each other, but then that second line rhymes with the fourth line. So ma- micro and macro, you know, uh, lyric structures going on. So uh, let's listen to just a little bit of uh, of Prince Ali, and you can hear some of this wonderful. I'm excited lyric for the bad play. guys with swords. Now try your best to stay calm. Brush up your Sunday salon. Then come and meet his spectacular coterie. Prince Ali, mighty is he, Ali Ababwa. Strong as ten regular men, definitely. He faced the galloping hordes. A hundred bad guys with swords. Who sent those goons to their lords? Why, Prince Ali? got it programmed in the computer and Ashman Howard Ashman would perform all of the songs but he would perform the songs in character and those are the versions that Disney would give to the actors the performers who were singing those roles and performing those roles so it would have profound influence on and so character. Ashman originated like Sebastian being Jamaican that's because he and Minkin were noodling around with a calypso beat and he just sort of affected this character who was you know well it's calypso music so I'm going to sing with his a Jamaican Ursula accent is also his fantastic. Ursula his Ursula is Pat what's her name that does the performance on the soundtrack immortal and fantastic but Howard Ashman's version of that is not Gives far her a run behind. for our money. It really does. And so I wanted to play a little bit of the working version to, to show this of uh, Friend Like Me from Aladdin, which is uh, hilariously and brilliantly sung by Robin Williams. But Robin Williams was doing a lot of imitating of Howard Ashman because Howard Ashman you know, envision that whole song as a Cab Calloway thing. And so he's doing his best. So the, all that stuff is, that's on Ashman's demo. So I just want to show you a little bit of how Ashman would originate these characters before the actors would even get their hands on Wow, I have to say that is amazing vocal delivery. That Just the diction alone is fantastic. That man knows how to use his voice. He was brilliantly talented. And, and when you, you can't, you can't get, I can't find it anywhere now, this music behind the magic set. But when you listen to their work tapes, they are so in sync, just bouncing ideas back from one another. And Mencken is able to just, I mean, at, I mean, Ashman could just, just stream of consciousness. Like, you know, like, like, uh, how about this kind of style? And Mencken will just start riffing in that style immediately with no hesitation. So the, the, the enormous amount of talent between those two and the synergy between them, I think is remarkable. It's often overlooked though. And that's why I wanted to highlight it on the podcast because it's in movies that are for kids and here this 
it's brilliant musical theater when you look at the music and the songs. And those movies in particular, when you think back on them, you definitely remember the music. Most definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of other great animated films that have come out afterward, some of them you, you remember the music, but I think those in particular, you really connect the movie directly with its music. Especially because they really honor Stephen Sondheim's, you know, sort of um, basic rule about musical theater is that the songs must advance either character development or plot, they must be integral into the material in some way. It shouldn't just be the old mid-century yeah. style of pageantry where we well, have a, a play now. and then everybody breaks out in song and then the play resumes and then, you know. So, you know, that was, of course, one of Sondheim's fundamental uh, innovations. Which, by the way, if we weren't avoiding big famous names, Sondheim absolutely would, would definitely have been, be up in here right would now. Would be my first, my first one. But uh, I, I feel like Mencken and Ashman really absorbed that, you know, being of a generation that followed Sondheim and, and did it brilliantly. I think Beauty and the Beast is, is, is technically, in terms of craft and form and everything, the best Disney movie that they've, that they've done for my mind. The music in Beauty and the Beast is not only just from a, from a, like a technical perspective looking at it, but just growing up with Beauty and the Beast being just a staple in my childhood. I mean, that music moved me in ways that I didn't really understand um, as a kid. No other movie made me feel like that. No other movie brought tears to my eyes like that just because of the music. Yeah, definitely. So you had a, 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 an example of a singer-songwriter. Yes. So I know that a lot of what we've been talking about are people who write for other people. Um, but the next artist that I want to talk about was Sufjan Stevens, who is another favorite of mine. And he mostly writes music just for himself. Um, but his brilliance and creativity as a songwriter just make him stand out to me. Uh, he is so inventive and creates things that I find so outside what I usually hear from modern music. He combines so many different uh, gestures and styles and puts them together seamlessly. And he has um, the, a sound that is kind of difficult to pin down in a lot of but ways. But hugely identifiable. But also very distinct. Um, and I think that's also one of his strengths, to be honest. Um, and a lot of people know his work from his 2005 album, Illinois. And the most famous track from, from that album is Chicago, which is a beautiful song. I don't mind, I don't mind. I was in love with the place in my mind, in my mind. I made a lot of mistakes. So real famous from commercials, obviously, but it's a much deeper song. That's why most definitely why you're sharing it's, it's it. Yeah. quite long, in fact. Um, but I think it really showcases one of his strengths, which is his ability to very brilliantly orchestrate. Um, he, to me, creates sound palettes that I have not heard before. He takes instruments that are pretty familiar to all of us and puts them together in ways that you don't expect in modern pop music, um, even though he's writing it in a pretty traditional modern popular music sense um and so he takes like strings and and uh a lot of interesting percussion instruments and puts them together in ways that are so creative in my opinion and i think that he also is able to um create a lot of individual lines on those instruments and puts them together so seamlessly it really is almost like a a modern Johann sebastian bach just making almost a fugue-esque kind of texture with all of these 
instruments having their own piece. And, and he's really a multi-instrumentalist yeah, himself, right? Oh, yeah. He's a pretty he was an oboe player. He was an orchestra Doesn't kid. Doesn't he make he, this music pretty much out of the instruments he knows how to play? Yeah. Like, I mean, isn't that why his... That's kind of how it results like in these quirky orchestrations, yeah. yeah. But I think it's really amazing how he can just weave all these individual it is lines true. that if you tune into individually are beautiful in their own right, but then when they are all put together, create this new texture and it's even more beautiful when you're right in especially in that album in Illinois when he really gained a, 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 a wide listening following I know you're gonna talk about Age of Odds in a second which is another thing altogether but uh, he you're right he does take sounds that are familiar to everybody but they're not familiar in that combination most definitely and they're not familiar doing the things he has them do and, again, and, and also, also the production. Sorry, I, I remember reading that his he records on his own label that he and his stepfather started yeah. and own, right? Yeah. So he's you know he keeps total control of the process. the The production on it, just he's the way he like like the percussion is music. really live and resonant, but the strings are kind of well, you know it's, it compressed. Sounds, and, it sounds very very homemade, like it, and it, but in a fantastic way, you right? Know? Best way, yeah. yeah, yeah. He falls in my brain in an American that uh, outsider art tradition yeah. is what I mean, which connects us back to Age of Odds, which is about a famous outsider artist. Yeah, and and it also kind of plays off of his brilliance and orchestration. I, I think the the main title of that track, uh, the main track off that album, I should say, sorry, uh, Age of Odds, is so brilliantly orchestrated. But I I think we should listen. <laughs> Is the track that made me buy my first synthesizer? Really? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. When, no, once once I got this album, because I've been listening to electronic music for a while, but once I got this album, I was like, I gotta, I gotta find out what's going on here. Um, I, sorry, I don't <laughs> step on your toes here at all. But uh, that's just some of the best um, combining of, of electronic and acoustic sounds that I can think of. Like it's just it's it's so fantastic. It's amazing. It's just the sprawling symphony of a song. It's incredible. The the track this is Age of Odds, A D Z is the title of the album for those of you who may not be familiar with this work or with this album. Uh and 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 the track is eight minutes long. And it also really showcases his ability to develop ideas. Um, he and that's why kind of why I call it almost a, a symphony of a song because there are so many ideas that he plays with in this song that just develop over time and in the most interesting ways and the most fun ways. And he also creates this thick texture and he used to use a lot more of just an acoustic sound world and here he right really this album to, was a was a shock he yeah. Made, yeah he really starts to incorporate well, actually, i i his had filed first him album was all electronic enjoy your rabbit is oh okay all I, okay i didn't know that he, yeah. he had used it before but with things but like I, michigan and illinois i didn't know i didn't hear any of his music till illinois that was when he he got on my radar and i filed him away in the you know quirky folksy singer songwriter category because that's the most that's the most but popular so work that he has but then age of odds so came out exactly. and and like dave said the 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 way that he weaves the acoustic and and, and electronic textures it's together and, and the way and that's, that's not an easy thing to the do way that he all, produces obviously. and manipulates the acoustic sounds because like he manipulates his voice 
on that album and in this track in particular yeah. in ways that he didn't do before. I mean, real obvious manipulation of his voice. And for someone who isn't the the greatest voice I've ever heard, he is also much like C is just extremely expressive with in it. his delivery. Is, yeah, is and I mean, on top of knowing how to play all those amazing instruments and being a great producer and a great songwriter, he also can sing the, the crap out of his own songs. Right. And of course, we're not uh, just like about that song in particular. Of course, we're not playing the whole whole eight and a half minutes or however long it is here. right but, well if we had time we just play the whole yeah. album and sit here and listen to it with you so go the link the link is on go the post as always it. with every podcast episode every musical example that we play is listed below the the podcast itself in the post on the website um so make sure that you click through if you dig it and and listen to the whole album but what i was going to say is that uh, the end of the track all the electronics and, and the heavy orchestration disappears and it just goes back down to the guitar and, and, and the voice. And that's and, it. And it, it's sort of like this huge, um, <laughs> like monumental, like melodramatic sound that you've been hearing this whole time was, was just a simple folk song. And I think actually I, it's important to acknowledge his strength as a singer-songwriter just with an acoustic guitar and his well, that's, voice. I think that's yeah. what makes it all work. That's what carries this texture and all this is that at its core there's still great songs there. And a perfect example of that is the song Feudal Devices, which is the first track on the album. a really great example of of his true skill as just a, a singer songwriter and and throughout his albums i think he showcases that as well that no matter how he chooses to stylistically present each album whether he's focusing more on acoustics or electronics or whatever it may be he always can include a simple song like that and it is always one of the best tracks on the album and i love that it's it's deceptive because he puts it at the front of the album. Very it's, much so. It's a yeah. fake out because you don't know the the wall of electroacoustic sound that's going to be coming down the pipe. About to hit you like a wave. There, there are two things about that track that that I adore more than uh, the you know uh, that I especially adore. I should say above what you mentioned, and the first is the little orchestrational touch uh, when it's it's the gesture is handed off between the pizzicato string, pizzicato violin, and the piano. And then the second one is just the lyrics. Words are feudal devices. The message of the song is just, it's a wonderful song on any level that you can analyze it. It, it starts out the album with this little two-minute meditation, and you're thinking, wow, that's, man, he's right. Words are really kind of in that. And then he hits you with, you know, Age of Oz. craziness. And, yeah. yeah. Very effective. Yeah. So moving back from uh, electro-folk singer songwriters to uh you know industrial earworm generators were um i want to talk about holland oats just one of my favorite daryl uh, hall and john yes the about so earworm generators yeah. to, to the uninitiated oh 
<laughs> How many do people still listen to Hall and Oates? Are they like I mean, because they were huge in the eighties. Well, okay, I, I still listen to Hall and Oates. I mean, I I sort of discovered them myself like about two years ago because I mean I'd really? always known oh, I about Hall and Oates. Like a childhood fan. No, no, I'd, I'd always like known about Hall and Oates, but I never like just like, man, I'm I'm gonna dig into their songs and uh, <clears throat> man, they're some really great songwriters and it's it's. Uh, They've got a lot of breadth, like the Bee Gees. They they were successful for a really long time, so they started out with kind of a, a Philly soul sort of sound, um, and were able to morph along with the times, uh, really effectively combining like soul and a little bit of new wave, and you know pop rock, yacht rock. You know, it's all kind of in there. What was pop rock and what yacht rock? What is that? Oh, um, well, I think the term... Uh, you have to remember, I was in music school for a lot of the 90s, so a no, lot of things went No, Yacht past Rock me. is, I think, sort of a, a more recent um, name for, you know, like Doobie Brothers and uh, Michael McDonald. So, like, and, like soulful rock, yeah, dude rock. It, it, it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like what old rich dudes would listen to on their on yacht. On their yacht. Oh, yeah. that's exactly oh what, yacht. Y-A-C-H-T. <laughs> I was just hearing some sound like Y A T, like no, <laughs> like I, I didn't know what he was saying. Yacht rock, yeah. Well, now when you say yacht rock, I, I think I'm on a boat, you know. Yeah. Well. Anyway, sorry, sorry for the derail. Sorry <laughs> yes, for the derail. A little bit of influence from there, but so I wanted to start out with an example of their more like early Philly soul kind of sound with Rich Girl. But it's gone too far, cause you know it don't matter anyway. Say money, money won't get you too far, get you too far. If you are not smiling, you are a robot. What is wrong with <laughs> this you? This is a delightful, delightful so song. My favorite's the Philly Streams. Yeah, it's it's uh it's that classic. I like Philly the background so- singers and hooks all over the place. It's just it's just delightful pop music, really well constructed. Um, and and the, the <laughs> they had such a, a long career and, and changed so much over the course of it. Uh, the next one I wanted to play, of course, was uh, oh, what was I gonna do? Um. You make my dreams, that's right. Yeah. Just makes you want to fall in love in a montage, doesn't it? But the, the, the That's the, how I always want to fall in love. <laughs> But but there's a, there's a huge difference in style there. I mean, it's a much sparser, really tight sound. Um, but what what strikes me about Hall and Oates is that it's they they kind of get that. Notwithstanding the the excellent performance, because Daryl Hall is just he's one of the the best soul singers of his generation, like definitely. And I mean that that group was really good. They're very tight. But notwithstanding that, the, the songwriting always has that perfect combination of hookiness and catchiness with enough to keep you interested. Um, that's sort of a, it's a hard, uh, duplicitous edge to walk, you know? 
Yeah, he does ride this line kind of they 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 stay right in between your kind of typical paint by numbers like mm-hmm. pop song with enough unexpected elements and fun catchy like you said hooks and stuff like that to just make you go oh this 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 is the good version of yeah. that oh and, and the parts that are painted by numbers are painted beautifully i mean beautifully it's, it's all pretty perfect on that front speaking of paint by numbers uh that brings us to our last example somebody i wanted to share uh with our listeners and not because this is a songwriter. I, I'm breaking the rules a little bit. This isn't a songwriter whose work is near and dear to my heart, like everyone we've been talking about on this episode. But it is a songwriter who uh, is one of the most successful songwriters and producers who has yet worked in the music business. Uh, so if I asked you what songwriter had the third most number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100 after number one and number two, who are John Lennon and Paul McCartney, Who is number three on that list? And then if I added that this person is also the most successful producer on the Billboard Hot 100, second only to George Martin, producer of the Beatles. So you literally have to go to the Beatles to get songwriters and a producer more successful than this individual is in both fields. I don't know if I could come up with a good answer. Well, I already know, but... Well, I told Dave, Dave told when we were getting supper so. earlier, I told Dave who it was going to be. But did you wouldn't have known beforehand, right? I, yeah. Maybe. You could have guessed. <laughs> I, I knew it was like one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those there's like four guys. of them. There's so, like four of them, but yeah. This, I wanted to include this one to illustrate a point that I'd made at the top of the episode about how sometimes, you know, if you find a song you like, it's not exactly, it's not uh, always, I should say, the best idea to follow that singer or that band because they may not have written that song. And if you find out who wrote the song and follow that person's work, you may be a lot more successful in finding more of the thing that you love. But if you have wondered why a lot of mega pop of the last 15 years, more, almost 20 years now, sounds a lot alike, it's because it's by this guy. His name is Max Martin. Swedish producer and songwriter who is part of, uh, you know, the Swedish pop production and composition powerhouse. Yeah, it started with ABBA and yeah, uh, ABBA and continues through. I I believe they have a, they pretty much have a national program of doing that where they had music education uh, for for young people. So, so Max Martin has written for and produced uh, his his first big breakout act was Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears, and then In Sync, right? So the pre- pretty much the last part of the '90s are defined by Max Martin, and then up into the present day, Katy Perry, Kelly Clarkson, Taylor Swift. It goes on and on and on and on. So I just put together instead of playing one or two examples of Max Martin's uh, work. I, I took uh, eight of his songs and sort of strung them together in a quick example collage that'll take us from uh, 1999 to the present day. So sort of 16 years of mega pop hits by Max Martin. This is what his work sounds like.
hundreds of millions. But and again, like I said, you you literally have to go to the most successful songwriters in human history to find people who have been more successful as songwriters than Max Martin. And yet, I would guess the vast majority of people who have loved his music, who it has defined their adolescence, even have no idea who he is. That that the the person who originated these sounds helped originate these sounds is invisible to them. So that's that's uh, you know why I wanted us to to chat around this topic today is to share some of the the songwriters that that we personally love, but also to draw attention to the craft of songwriting. And remember, there's a there's also a, an act of creation prior to performance that's really important, and it's it's not always connected to the person performing. And I think often our technology kind of allows us the luxury of not necessarily having to think about musical quality um, and think more about just like sound and textural quality. We're like, ooh, I like those tones. I like those sounds. I like that hook. And you don't necessarily think of the true competition, I'm sorry, a composition of, of the, the, the song itself. We don't talk about that often. And in fact, we often talk about the musicians and their lives and what they do with music that we so often just talk around the music itself when we never really discuss its meat and bones. So find some songwriters you love, follow their work, and uh, we think you'll discover a lot of music that you enjoy. Yeah, man. Uh, Thank you, Lisette. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And thank you, listeners, for joining us on the Loose Filter Podcast. We will be back next week with another episode. Till then, enjoy some great music. Mm